0: There's a lot of potential in diversity and exposing yourself to environments that are different from the ones that you are in, hearing what kind of problems others have or what kind of approaches do they take to solve those healthcare problems. I think that can really accelerate the ideas and thinking around how you might want to address the challenges that you're facing in your company or your country.
1: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex from AWS, and welcome back to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. Today, we're trying something different and featuring another health innovation podcaster on the show. Tiasha Zayk is the host of the Faces of Digital Health podcast, a show that explores the diversity of healthcare systems and healthcare innovation worldwide. In today's crossover post with the Faces of Digital Health feed, we'll talk about both our shows, our professional journeys, what each podcast is trying to accomplish, and the future outlook for healthcare innovation. Let's go.
0: Alex, hi. This is something that at least I don't do very often, but I hope it's going to be fun. We both have a podcast show, and it's time for us to discuss how they differ, what are the goals that we try to bring to the audience, and maybe the insights that we bring to the table. So can you do a quick introduction of you and your show?
1: Yeah, of course. First off, thanks a lot for doing this with me. Uh, I'm head of growth for healthcare and life sciences startups at AWS. I'm here to talk about the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. And what we do is we shine a light on the stories behind the founders of the unicorns of tomorrow within healthcare and life sciences, companies that are going to become beacons of inspiration for others in the field as we try to improve outcomes, decrease cost, and improve access to healthcare services. I know we're going to talk a little bit about health innovation today, but that's a short bit about our show. How about
0: you? Faces of Digital Health has been running to, it's going to be seven years soon. The way that the show differentiates from other podcasts is with the focus on healthcare systems and basically global availability and accessibility of healthcare and combining the healthcare system perspective with the um, conditions that innovators are in when they're trying to enter a specific uh, market. For example, the new regulation for digital therapeutics in France, I recently did, A really nice recap with all the links uh, about uh, where you need to go uh, to the French authorities if you want to uh, scale on that market.
1: Do you have other favorite episodes that you've done?
0: So one uh, project that I'm really proud about is a documentary that I did two years ago uh, that was focused on how can we reduce medication-related errors. Mm. And basically, in that one-hour documentary, which is also available in podcast form, I took 15 uh, speakers from 10 countries across the world to talk about why medication errors happen, how can we reduce them, why is the hospital environment so prone to these errors, and to which degree can technologies try to decrease that risk? Uh, What are additional thoughts around how can we improve patient safety with medications? because there's still so much that's related to human error that technology can't really stop. And also, a lot of technology brings up new problems. What about you? How does the work that you do with startups overlap with the podcast?
1: AWS is a cloud infrastructure provider. So we provide startups a platform that can be used to create an agile, scalable, and compliant technology infrastructure for any product that they're building. So think of us as Lego blocks, and you can build Anything you could possibly imagine with it. So we really support builders, but something that we've observed as companies build on the cloud and they lean in with us is that they frequently need a little bit of extra help in getting exposure and reaching new potential customers and partners. So really with the podcast, what we're trying to do is shine a light and provide exposure to these high potential companies and co-promote with them and hopefully give them some more visibility with the end goal of spinning up new pilots and collaborations and getting solutions to clinical impact as, as quickly as possible.
0: What's the most common advice that you give to startups?
1: So I just had a conversation earlier today with a company, and it, the advice I give to them is pretty common. Sometimes it's go slower. Be careful where you take capital from. There seems to be a lot of attraction toward raising institutional funding, and I think especially in Europe, where there is so much public investment, and in the U.S. as well, via NIH grants, and we have ARPA-H, and we'll see how their investment thesis develops. But especially if you're involved in healthcare, really spending a few years just accepting public grant capital and diving really deep with your customers, again, channeling that Amazonian approach, it, it can be really effective. The challenging thing is that when people give you money, they tend to want it back. And so accepting institutional funding from a VC... You need to keep in mind the VC business model. In a way, VCs are like startups themselves, and they have certain growth expectations. When you're considering raising capital, it's really important to be open-eyed about what ride you're getting on. What are the other companies within this venture capitalist portfolio? What are the return profiles? What kind of growth is going to be expected of you within a certain amount of time? And so sometimes taking the slow path can be better, but focusing on a project-based grant with a local healthcare institution, really refining your use case. And if you do have an ambition for growth, keeping in mind what points are going to be generalizable for later. But I very frequently engage with founders who are very passionate about a technology or a solution they've created, but they haven't really fallen in love with the problem yet. And I think sometimes that can create situations where it's tempting to take a bunch of money and and then it can become very challenging. You need to deliver on those growth expectations.
0: Maybe if we just talk about the landscape in healthcare, what are some of the things that maybe surprised you so far in your podcast and with everything that you mentioned that you do, you're focusing on discussions with VCs and entrepreneurs. Do you have any specific observations regarding the challenges and frustrations of both groups?
1: So most of my VC relationships are with funds that are investing at Series A and earlier. So sharing my perspective from early stage company formation versus later stage growth. But deal flow is just down this year. So 2023, it's down about a third for early stage health tech startups, both in terms of deal count and deal volume. However, the amount of capital that VCs have to invest is actually greater than it's almost ever been. So last year, according to Silicon Valley Bank, VC funds globally raised 22 billion in capital to deploy into health tech startups, which is the second highest ever, only behind 28 billion which was the big record in 2021. With very low interest rates and a lot of stimulus coming into the economy, and just to put that in perspective in 2019 it was 10 billion, right? So between 2019 and 2022 in a 2-year period it almost tripled. So the headline is there's really an immense amount of dry powder that VC funds have to deploy. And LPs want to see that money get into early-stage companies so it can grow. Perhaps there's been a too much conservatism in deploying deals. Things seem to be loosening up a little bit. Volume seem to be picking up. But I think it's been a challenge within the VC space. Now, for the startups, obviously many of them are feeling capital-constrained with the limited amount of money that's available and almost every health tech is not generating positive cash flow it's a very challenged environment just in terms of runway the startups that were really on it try to conserve cash everywhere they could either by doing redundancies delaying projects things like that not expanding into new markets really focusing on their key customer personas but there has been business closure we'll probably see private equity get involved perhaps some consolidation perhaps this will be a good thing given the number of point solutions that are developed within health tech Perhaps a lot of these point solutions can be pulled together into vertically oriented solutions for different therapeutic areas, like a tech enabled services model. So it's been tough in short. There's some promise not to be all dour. This has been a real surprising year for natural language processing and some of the capabilities that are being surfaced through generative AI and large language models. A lot of this is hype. You really can't use an LLM in the clinical care pathway because you can't control what comes out of it. And you just won't pass the regulatory bar when it comes to AI and medical devices. However, there's some really clever things that are being done uh, using retrieval augmented generation, which is when you pass ground truth data into the LLM to restrict the responses that come out of it. So you can be you know, more sure that what you're getting is a hallucination and that it's inspectable and auditable. To my knowledge, no one has brought a solution like that to market yet and gotten regulatory approval. But I think in the next year or two, we'll see some pretty exciting things in that space. Companies have been using encoder, decoder frameworks, which are what are behind a lot of generative AI applications for many years, especially in the life sciences space. But obviously, there's been a lot of renewed investment and focus in that area. And the exciting thing there is when you're designing a new biomolecule, you don't need to really worry about hallucination because you're going to run it through a clinical trial. And so there's other mechanisms in place to ensure safety and efficacy are there. So that has been hugely exciting for companies involved in that space. But yeah, no, it's not been an easy year. The the last 18 months have been very challenging for startups. In 2021, there was a record amount of capital deployed, frequently at very high valuations just due to the funding environment. A lot of companies went IPO via SPAC that haven't realized their commercial milestones and now they're trading very low. So it's been really difficult, but I'm a perennial optimist. I think there's hope yet, and I think things are starting to turn around. So what Mm -hmm. about for you? Because with your background in journalism and the work you do on the day-to-day, And the depth that you go into the ecosystem, what trends have you observed, particularly for innovations that you think are having the most impact?
0: Okay, so obviously, large language models, as you mentioned yourself, created a a revolution in terms of the ideas of what could be done, of what can be done. But I'm not sure how fast that's actually going into the clinical practice because the clinical practice and clinicians haven't changed. They're still conservative, but they're conservative in the sense that they're careful. They're not just going to test something on patients because it seems promising. But having said that, there's a lot of potential and already good use cases around the optimization of documentation coding because you can structure data from free text and then also connect, for example, those specific concepts to codes, to data standards, which is in essence what then brings uh, long-term change. So I'm looking into that. So to which extent is all this going to decrease the burden on clinicians? But apart from that, what I've been focusing more in the last month or a month and a half is really looking again at Africa and what's happening there, what kind of innovation is there. And what surprised me was that I really wanted to have uh, local entrepreneurs to just hear local stories, not stories from foreigners as much as possible. But as it turns out, there's actually a lot of capital and a lot of ideas that do come from the West, from people that really want to create a change. So they basically work in Africa and create great opportunities for the local workforce to improve the healthcare. And that's definitely something that's really needed because the stories that you hear are, are heartbreaking. For example, I spoke with a provider from Switzerland that does medical delivery with the help of drones in Malawi. And the stories that they were saying uh, were that you might die because if you call an ambulance, they will tell you that the ambulance is just not there because there's the number of ambulances is so small. That's one thing. Or I spoke with a doctor from Kenya who was telling me that patients with kidney disease that would get a dialysis and survive in the West go on palliative care because they can't take care of them. or. If the standard of treatment would be to get dialysis three times a week, they would only do it two times so they can help more patients. So it's stories like that, that really make you think about the need around healthcare. And if you look at Nigeria, it's a huge market. It has huge potential. It's 200 million people. That's two thirds of the US. But the number of doctors there is between 0.1 and 0.2 per 1,000 people. And the numbers that we usually talk about for the developing countries is, I think the U.S. has around 2.8, the European average is something like 3.5 per 1,000 people. And now compare that with something between 0.1 and 0.2. And yeah, but still, there's a lot of people that were born in Africa, were raised abroad in the U.S., and are now coming back and are split between, for example, the US uh, and Africa or Europe and Africa, which is really uh, a good combination because they have access to capital and uh, investors from the West. And then they combine that with local investors for connections and uh, other benefits that startups need in order to succeed. So I found that very insightful in terms of the trends that you uh, might want to just observe can you tell me a bit more about your background and how basically you came to where you are today i would love to i really
1: should have been pre-med in the womb with how many healthcare providers are in my family so my father is a pathologist my mother is an rn my grandfather was a dermatologist my stepmother is an anesthetist but it was actually my grandma who gave me the career nudge she worked at apple for 30 years from 1982 to 2012. She was the only octogenarian at the business when she retired. So the care packages I got growing up weren't crocheted sweaters and baked goods. I got computers and software and how-to books. So I did my first website at 12, e-commerce website at 14, started a digital marketing consultancy at 15 and continued that work through my early 20s. And worked in advertising technology for 10 years and after being in a very privileged position of being at two successful scale-ups i decided to realign to my family roots and get involved in healthcare uh, and then it just turned into how do i go from an executive in advertising technology into health tech amazon was my customer at that advertising technology startup at the time amazon had bought PillPack and done a joint venture with berkshire hathaway and jp morgan chase called haven and so I figured, hey, maybe I can come work here for a bit and find my way into a new industry. So came to Amazon five years ago and was able to realize that long term career ambition to get involved in health innovation. So been quite a roundabout tour and trying to contribute the experience I have from other industries to try to help uh, with what we're doing within health innovation. Tiasha, tell me a little bit more about your background. What did you do and what drew you into the world of health innovation and what inspired you to start the Faces of Digital Health podcast?
0: So I did a master's in healthcare management and economics and then worked for a medical journal, so focusing mostly on clinical uh, guidelines and really the novelties in therapies and things like that. But then in 2015, I actually transitioned into uh, healthcare IT, and that really gives you a good understanding of uh, the technical details and also what the end users are facing. I'm working for a company called Better, And at Better, what we really try to focus on is thinking, how can we contribute with healthcare IT in the long run? What kind of solutions can we offer that are not just going to be a good proprietary solution for 10 years, but something that's going to last for a long time? That's why we base our solutions on the open-air data standardization, which is vendor-neutral. So even if the customers that we work with decide to, to a different vendor, they're not going to lose the data because data migration is one of the biggest pain points that people have when they're considering going to a new software provider in the hospital. And I think why this is really important and impactful is also the fact that when you work on the open data standard specifications, such as open air, which is backed by an international community across the world that builds these data models that are also publicly available. Then you can also use low-code tools to basically build your own things. And we had a really interesting use case where a startup from Nigeria built their own EHR in a year, 90% out of the publicly available clinical data models that are provided by the community. And I think all of that is also visible in uh, the, the shows that I do and the questions that I ask really the technical things and business things combined with the patient perspective to really give the audience the ultimate value that goes beyond the surface that you might see on the website of the company that I'm interviewing, for example. So I think our time is running out. Is there any last words that you would like to share around maybe the podcast or Where uh, people can learn uh, more about it and who is actually not your targeted customer, but maybe the audience or individual or a company that you feel that you can help most.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. So, Tiasha, thank you so much for the opportunity. If you're an early stage startup and you're trying to navigate onto AWS, check out AWS Activate. This is a credit investment program we run and so much more content, workshops, communities. So just search AWS Activate and you'll find the information. So that's a really great first protocol for startups. If you want to get in touch with AWS, our contact us form is the best way to do that. You will be routed to the appropriate account team and they can follow up. And then as for the podcast, really what I hear from listeners is that it's really well suited to entrepreneurs, investors, or healthcare innovators, whether you are sitting within a major biopharma, a hospital system, a payer, a clearinghouse, any part of the healthcare value chain. If you are invested in changing the way things are done in healthcare and you want to hear from founders that are working really hard to make that a reality, I think that you'll enjoy tuning in. And Tiasha, I turned it around to you. We'll be sharing this episode on the AWS Health Innovation Podcast feed as well. Who's going to get the most out of tuning into your podcast?
0: So I would say that basically what the whole aim of the podcast is, or the vision, is to bridge the gap between the innovation that's happening in more developed countries or in less developed countries. First of all, I'm trying to increase the awareness about the differences in healthcare systems, because I think there's often a lot of misconception around which market really has potential, which market doesn't. Is it really that much easier to work in the developing countries? What, what exactly do you need if you want to go uh, to those markets? So anyone that's interested uh, in that might be interested in the show. Policymakers that actually want to understand more what are the challenges that Uh, Healthcare innovators are faced with, and also everyone that is thinking daily around how to improve healthcare. I think just there's a lot of potential in diversity and basically exposing yourself to environments that are different from the ones that you are in, hearing what kind of problems others have, or what kind of approaches do they take to solve those healthcare problems? I think that can really accelerate the ideas and thinking around how you might want to address the challenges that you're facing in your company or your country. That would be the overall description. Ideas sharing, opening up the minds, And I think everybody needs that in healthcare.
1: Mm, I couldn't agree more. And I'm a listener of your podcast, so I can confirm everything you just said. That is exactly what people are going to get when they tune in. It's been a blast. A lot of fun sitting down with you. Again, a slightly different format. I hope that our audiences enjoyed it. But yeah, let's get together soon. And thanks a lot for doing this.
0: Thank you too, Alex.
1: Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.